With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the LPN Show. Recorded both in Los Angeles and New York City. We're just, you know, here to hang out. Have a good time. All right. We'll talk to y'all after a while. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here. This is the LPN Show. Today's guest is a wonderful musician. You've heard her uh, sing, and now you can hear her talk. I don't know how to start these things. I am joined by Mackenzie Nicole. Thank you so much, Mackenzie, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, Like I was just saying before we started recording, like I've been listening for, God, how many years now? Like six plus oh my yeah we've been like doing this for like too long now we have some listeners who started listening to us when they were like in middle school and high school and we'll get dms being like i'm now a father of 12 and (laughs) i'm just i've been with you guys i'm like oh my god i just turned 39 this week and i am going through a bit of a Midlife crisis, assuming then I die at what, 78, which this probably is midlife. I've made it to midlife and I, I, whatever, you know what? 39 and holding. That's what Marcus's mom says. And I'm saying 39 and holding. Here's the thing. First of all, happy birthday. Happy belated. Thank you. And you know, like a lot of people don't get to make it to 39. It's just, I guess, well, that is, that is very true. And we have to count our blessings. That's what I say. Absolutely. Well, speaking of age, Mackenzie, I was doing a little research. Not creepy. I was doing it for the show. And I so there was this thing called Strange Music. And you were a part of it. It was with, uh, what, like Tech Nine, some other people that I am, you know, I'm hip. I'm cool. I know know (laughs) these people. I know everyone in in rap and hip hop and music in general. I don't just listen to old country music. I'm I'm neat. Um, But you are a you were now you're an adult star but you were kind of a child star that shit sounds so freaking trippy what was that experience like like when did you get air quotes famous i don't even know what that term means anymore but like when did you get like attention from fans at what age did all that stuff start Okay, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit before I first started recording professionally. Strange Music label was started by my parents, actually. Okay. Um, so uh, the label began in my suburban childhood home in Blue Springs, Missouri. Damn. And it was in the basement. Um, so literally my entire life, I always say that this label is like a twin entity to me because even though it was formally established in 2000, it really started manifesting in 1999, which is the year I was born. So... It has kind of been like a sibling to me, like my other half, my entire life. What was that like when your dad and your mom were like, so we're going to have a recording studio in the house? Like that is such, my dad was a truck driver. That is such a strange profession to have your parents do because it's like kind of cool. So then I guess you have to acknowledge that your parents are like not just nerdy parents and they actually have a personality. My parents are super cool, first of all. Like I get that because like, They really, uh, my dad had a super successful furniture repair company before this um, and had had a number of other businesses, a sod business, all this before. My mom worked a variety of jobs as well, and they're both like very entrepreneurial. And it was when they encountered um, a rapper by the name of Tech Nine, who you mentioned earlier, that they really 
with no knowledge whatsoever of the music industry, just dove straight in to this label because um, Tech was in another situation business-wise with his music. And my dad met him through an urban apparel company that they're trying, or not trying, but starting up at the time. It was like a, you know, flash in the pan thing for them. Um, And he was like, you know, I'd love to meet with you and kind of consult over the business side of what you're doing and kind of give you some advice, blah, blah, blah. That was my dad to Tech. And Tech was like, yeah, for sure. Um, and then when my dad heard his, like, the executive situation that was going on there, he was like, ha, good luck. And it was, like, totally dipped. And then Tech did this song called This Ring, which is about his experience um, essentially kind of battling the duality of being an artist and being the rapper he is and right. it, how that's all encompassing with having a wife and trying to have a family. Right, and ulti- right. Ultimately how the artist won over. Well, that that's okay. Interesting. So in that case, the artist won over. And I guess that's the duality that all of, uh, all of us artists uh, yeah. are kind of constantly struggling with. I was talking to my therapist. I, mostly I don't talk to him because uh, it's more stress having to know that I have to talk to him. And then I, I always get a text being like, We're, we were supposed to be talking 15 minutes ago and then I'm extra stressed. But anyway, when I actually do make my therapist appointment, uh, he, he asks me, he's like, what do you do outside of work? And I'm like, what the fuck are you even talking about? What do you mean outside of work? Like, how do I, how do you detach yourself or how do you get self-worth out of anything else other than work? But like, I guess that's a constant artist struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was upon hearing that song that my parents were like, oh, like we have to engage with this. Like we have to be a part of this because it was such an important and impactful message and the song um, to them and to me as well now that I'm older. And so they dove into this and my dad asked, tech um so if you're gonna have a record label what would it be called and he's like i want to call it strange music um because i'm a huge fan of jim morrison and like strange days people are strange etc right yeah so my parents who are also huge doors fans um were like yeah that's metal so they did that (laughs) and so that was their words exactly that's metal i'm not paraphrasing at all and (laughs) then that really uh they just dove in. My parents I had no experience in the entertainment industry whatsoever. You're one years old. All of a sudden, there's a recording studio in your basement. So you just grew up with this. Yeah, I just grew up around this entire situation. And honestly, like, it was a very weird upbringing in the respect that I consider everyone at the label my family. I consider all the rappers my big brothers. Like, these are the, or like, these are my people. Who were some of the first rappers that you remember meeting uh, when you were a kid? And you're, and to you, it's just like, hey, this is my family. And to somebody on the outside, you'll be like, oh my God, you just chill with this dude. So I'd say that when it comes to who I consider family, um, obviously everyone at Strange Music being like, um, like tech, obviously in later years, like the Joey Cools of the world, Jerry Robinson, some other acts that are like strange specific, but the artists that I've met um, over the years who I've really adored my like, I've, I love everyone I've gotten to meet because I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of really good people. Right. Yeah. Um, but I love Lil Wayne. I think he is a sweet little angel boy. Um, I met him first when I was 12. And then I recently just met Snoop Dogg for the first time. And Dude, did you smoke a joint with him? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh, no. Was in, I was in my cubicle at work. But I, yeah, so those are probably <laughs> the, uh, like, I've, I've really had the pleasure of getting to call a lot of amazing people, friends and family, but I it was like, it. oh, such a weird upbringing in the respect that like, for example, um, this is going to get a little sad. <laughs> I That's uh, all good. went to a very, very, very conservative Catholic grade school. Okay. And my parents on a rap label. So right. it was a disaster and the kids hated me <laughs> and the teachers hated me and the parents hated me. Um, by me, I mean us. And basically right. said, like, you're damned to hell for perpetuating satanic worship. Basically like this is the type of rhetoric surrounding. Oh, you went to a real Catholic school. All right. Oh, baby. 
<laughs> so <laughs> that was fun. And then thankfully for high school, I went to an amazing school called St. Teresa's Academy. It was really a fantastic experience, but my grade school is not. And so being ostracized for this upbringing was so weird to me because yeah. people would be so, so um, would question and demean my parents as parents and be like, you're raising your child around gangbangers. You're raising your child around rappers and right. and all this. But in reality, like, okay, like what you see is, you know, the drug dealer where you clutch your purse and your child and you cross the street, right? When you right. see it down your side of the sidewalk. But these are people who have taken care of me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. good. And so it always gave me this weird perspective because especially as like a little blonde hair, white girl growing up in a like now upper middle class family, we were not doing as well when I was younger, but now we've, you know, it's, we've been really fortunate. Yeah. Um, parents have worked really hard. Um, normally I obviously wouldn't experience any sort of discrimination whatsoever. Right. Um, but getting being so intrinsically involved with a population um, that experiences so much discrimination, um, particularly racially and socioeconomically, yeah. um, like the rappers we work with and the people that like I keep saying I consider my loved ones. Um, I really at a young age realized like race relations and um, a lot of interesting dynamics socially and that I otherwise wouldn't have never been observant of. Yeah, that that is absolutely fascinating. And I love that you have that as a life experience because I just think it makes a, a person well-rounded and it makes people sympathetic, empathetic, and understanding of other people's situation. I yes. mean, for you, when you were this young, were you surprised when people weren't not sympathetic, but when people were surprised about your life, when you like when you went to middle school and you're like, yeah, my parents own a rap label. I hang out with all of these people. Uh, I know Lil Wayne. And like, were you surprised at people's reaction or were you expecting people to be sort of, you know, less than cordial? I just... I was so surprised because the environment I've been brought up in is so accepting and so diverse. Right. Um, to experience anything less than that, anything less diverse or anything less accepting um, was very startling to me because the way that I was raised is in an environment of complete tolerance and understanding and acceptance of people, whatever lifestyle they've had to lead within yeah. reason. You know what I mean? Of and course. So for people to exercise judgment to the degree that it was exercised towards my family or towards the company we kept and continue to keep, I was shocked and I continue to be shocked oftentimes by the things like in my, you know, in retrospect that I remember from when I was younger and just go, Oh my God. Because like, it's also like given me a bit of a, like, I don't know. I think there's a lot of, um, I don't really have a moral, like objective understanding of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways because I was, because of the diversity of the environment I was raised in. And by the way, this is not me trying to be holier than that or anything like that. I don't think I'm better than anyone for being raised in a particularly diverse environment. I just want to clarify that real quick. Cause I think yeah, maybe of I'm, course I it think just is what it like is. I'm on a high horse right now, but it's just the situation. Um, whereas like, you know, let's take something uh, simple. And like, I know it's a stereotypical thing to bring up, but like being involved in a gang, something like that. Right. This was nothing foreign to me as a child. Like it was, I had a very um, obvious, un, like in deep understanding of it. And actually, um, in fifth grade, I almost got kicked out of the Dare program because I corrected the police officer <laughs> on his gang signs and showed him how to be walk in the middle of class. So, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, these cops got to start getting it right because this is misinformation they're out there, and it could get somebody killed. Exactly. Like, why is a 10 year old <laughs> Mackenzie checking you on this? But like, there is like, I, uh, you I can just thought, see like, that must have blown his mind when he's like the last person in <laughs> class he was profiling is just like doing a crypt walk and, and knowing the gang sign. He's just like, we better keep an eye on this one. This is, uh, <laughs> this is, they're taking over. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no. And like, I always understood why people, um, or at least to a decent degree, I understood why people end up in these situations. Right. But then I was in this environment as a child where people were demonizing anyone who had to, um, take up this lifestyle. Right. right? Uh, and so it's a very interesting thing. So then um, going back to your original question, though, um, I grew up like that. And then I was always a singer. Right. I hummed before I could talk. So I immediately was oh singing. My God. You're such a, you I have could. such a beautiful singing voice as well. Uh, you. You're really incredible. 
When did you first when did you first walk down to the studio and grab the mic and then your parents were like, I think we've struck pay dirt. Our daughter is talented. Yes. <laughs> no. Um, so I've been singing opera since I was six. Um, I've been classically trained since I was six. And so um, the guys always knew me to be um, a singer. I won't say what caliber of singer because I feel weird talking about myself. But, uh, you know, they always knew I sang. And when I was nine years old, Tech approached my parents and was like, hey, um, can I um, pitch a track to have Mackenzie on? Would you be okay with that as her parents? Oh, my God. That's incredible. And they were like, yeah. So the first song I ever professionally recorded was a song called Demons with Tech Nine and Three Six Mafia. I was nine oh years my, old. That's awesome. <laughs> what was the verse? Um, so I did the hook and it was when I was one and a two and a three and a four. I knew I was the special one that had a little more and they wondered why I was plum rotten to the core, but I was just a itty bitty little demon. And oh, so like a creepy little nine year old Mackenzie voice was saying that. And then like they were rapping with me. It was like super dope. But <laughs> I uh, then continued to just do features with tech and the other artists on my label, like Prozac, like Chris Calico, et cetera, until I was like, what, 15 or 16. And then um, we do these label wide collabos albums where all the artists get together and work together and, you know, do songs, et cetera. That's how music works. Right. And then I had been on a few records before at this point. Um, and then my producer, Seven, who's our in-house producer, Estrange, and he's my hero and my mentor, the reason I'm doing music, period. He's an amazing man. Um, he calls me and he's like, yo, um, we can do what we normally do, which is you record a hook and then send it to Tech and Tech records the verses, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can record your own song and have Tech feature on it. And oh so this God. would be my first solo song. And it was a song that I... Oh my God, I can't stand it called acting like, you know, and it was about my experience growing up, um, in this super conservative environment yeah. and having my upbringing constantly questioned. And there's a, what really inspired the song was, um, Marina, um, formerly Marina in the diamond. She's my patron saint. She's an amazing musician. She has a song called 17. And one of the lines is it, and it is, you don't know fuck about my family. And I was like, yeah, you really don't like, so I made an entire song about that essentially. And, That's, and then, you were 15 at this time. Yeah. Hell and yeah, dude. Then, um, it ended up being the highest grossing song off the record. Um, this pop song or pop song, off of a hip hop album ended up being the one that like kind of took off. And so then we did a music video for it and all this. And then that led to us doing another single. And then that led to us doing an album and another album. And now I'm here. And, and now you're uh, on the last podcast network show talking to the very overweight Ben Kitzel. All dreams do come true. Honestly, they do. Honestly, <laughs> this is this is pinnacle for me. This is, I what, can die restfully and happy now. You have to inform me what's going on now with music, right? I know like the SoundCloud rappers and all of this is like really big. And what is the music industry now? How does like, I know that you're creating a shitload of content. Um, what's going on without touring and all that stuff? We don't have to get into that because that's sad. Um, but what what is the music industry right now? Are you finding that you can go direct to consumer and you can cut out the middleman? You can cut out these huge ass um, massive corporations that just take a shitload of money from you. Uh, what, what do you, how does it work now? So right now music is a very, very, um, trippy, trippy industry to be in. Um, a lot of people will call it dying. I call it evolving. Um, because now the stereotypical, like, you know, you were an open mic, like karaoke night. And then yeah. like some talent agent in the back is like, you got the X factor kid. And then you sign to a major label that steals your entire, like all your money and identity and gets you hooked yeah. on cocaine. Type after shit. you're forced, after you're forced to like suck his weird little egg shaped ding dong at some point, And then like, that's a whole yeah. waking nightmare. And yeah. Absolutely. And so that's kind of faded into the background. That still exists to a degree, but really, um, I'll discuss the streaming era, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a position now where anyone can release music. The kid in his basement in, you know, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, right? Whoa! Go ahead and release an entire album on SoundCloud, right? Yeah. And so here's where this is great and also horrible. Okay. Um, is because this music discovery scene right now is incredible. You can discover artists you never, ever, ever would have heard who never had, would have had the opportunity to be heard yeah. before. Right. Yeah. And you can support these underground DIY artists or even larger artists that just wouldn't have been in, you know, your sphere. Purview. of Yeah, aware. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
And so that's amazing. But it also means that there's a huge, huge pool of people to try and succeed among. And I'm not one of those people who thinks that only a certain number of us can succeed. I think all of us can. And I think we should try and make sure that happens. Right. You know, I am so with you on that, Mackenzie. That is why I have no jealousy whatsoever towards in my world of podcasting. If someone has a great show, I'm like, good. More people, the better. The cream always rises to the top. Uh, I don't have a Mormon view of heaven. I'm not like 144,000 and that's it. I'm like, no, everyone is welcome. If you, if you get listeners and people like you, I'm like, Hey, please God continue on doing your work. Exactly. Um, the arts are not competitive unless you make them competitive. Like it's so stupid. And so that means that also because of the fact that streaming doesn't pay anything like Spotify, for example, not not talking shit i'm stating facts no that's a fact absolutely zero zero three pennies per stream so every time you stream my songs and get 15 seconds in i get point zero zero three pennies so i thank you for that it sounds like you're incarcerated making making uh you know what they make in wages so that's very interesting yeah but that's the strange thing when it comes to streaming uh, even in like, you know, we know a lot of people in the adult world, uh, and obviously they have like OnlyFans and stuff like that, but like Pornhub, for example, is like destroying that industry when it comes to streaming where, so where is the money then? I mean, you have someone like Post Malone who I love Posty. I just think he's super cute <laughs> and super funny. Life. He's yes. hilarious. And I just, I just, I mean, I don't know. I wish, I don't know about the face tattoos. I'm also 39 years in holding. So I'm like, oh, you know, that's going to be on you forever. You better be careful with the face tattoos, but that's my whole thing. To talk Takashi six nine, who's like, I'm gonna go into hiding. And I'm like, not with that face, you ain't gonna go into hiding. <laughs> you like, you put oh, a billboard. Never recognize you, witness protection, right? My God, that's like insane. But how do you then pop over? Because you've done it, you make a living. How do you get over the hump? of working for free. Cause we also worked for free for 10 years doing the show. Yeah. Uh, and it's not until you get ads where you can finally make some money. So what, I don't know. How do you do it? Yeah. So great question. Um, when you figure it out, tell me basically, <laughs> um, making money as an artist. Uh-huh. Basically, if I had to put it simply, um, everything but music, yeah. um, your merch game, your um, live performance game, yep. um, just overall content creation is what gets you the money, not the music itself. You know, if I was living yes. strictly off of the music itself, I would not be living. I would be dead out of starvation and homelessness. Yep. And like, it would be a disaster. So really, that's why all of us have side hustles, you yep. know, like that. And you get that you were there. Well, like, I mean, Henry Marcus and I talk sometimes where it almost feels at moments where we're just a merch company where we're doing so well selling t-shirts. It's like, do we even matter anymore? Should we just stop and just sell merch? Like you're totally right. There is, you have to do all of these periphery things. And I guess the art is what brings you the audience, but then the money is yeah. All of those side things, all of those live performance things, all of those uh, areas that other people can't get their money on or can't get their hands on your money. Yeah, but in this day and age, again, to go back to the music discovery culture right now, because there's so many artists within your mainline, your peripheral, right? Yeah. Um, and so many that you're going to enjoy. Fanaticism, um, like dedication to one artist, is a difficult thing to find at times. So because I love so many artists, right, how many can I genuinely afford to buy all the merch and go to all the concerts? Right. The att- is so divided that in today's um, music streaming and music discovery culture, um, it's even harder in a lot of ways to get that extra couple dollars from a shirt because this kid has 20 favorite artists and how is he going to pick you when he has all these other people who he yep. wants to support, you know? And it's not like people are people are not rolling in cash right now either. I talk about yeah. this on Abel against Top Ed all the time. When it comes to trickle-down economics, the only thing that trickles down is the debt. But we will not be talking about that on this show because we have more positive things to talk about. So- Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. 
If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Hey, Hotels.com here. Tired of the everyday? We know a hotel that's ready to unwind this weekend. Book hotels with spas in the Hotels.com app. Find your perfect somewhere. Such as, I don't know, let's talk about Post Malone. Do you know Posty? This is, my, this is the oldest question I have ever had. I am not exactly like, I don't know. I'm not, do you know Post Malone? I don't. I feel like my mother. I don't know what's happening. 39 <laughs> and holding. Time, bitch. Get excited. So I do not personally know Post Malone, but I know him in my heart and soul as uh, the uh, savior that I always wanted and the soulmate I feel I deserve. Um, I Are you shooting your well, shot here on the LPN show? Honestly, the DMs haven't worked, so now, now I'll try this. <laughs> this man. Okay, so get this. I went to a Post Malone concert recently. Okay. So I, I'm pretty excited. Uh-huh. I sit through the entire show. I am, I've never, I was going harder than anyone else, including him. Like, <laughs> I was so, I was obnoxious at this concert because I love this man with my entire heart and soul. And the reason I love him is because I was, many, many years ago, I was at work. Uh-huh. And I was asking everyone in the office, if Post Malone tries to kiss you, do you duck it or do you smooch him? And I don't know why I was asking this. I think it was just the first, like, I think it was just me being me, right? Yeah. And asking your chip. And then, like, halfway through asking all my coworkers this, I was like, oh, I wouldn't duck it. I'd smooch him. And then I Uh-oh. just realized in that moment that I was in love with him. And so anyway, we're back to the concert, right? We're back Okay, I'm just going to say this. Female fandom is so scary. Everyone, I know men are scary. I understand that. But there is something about getting DMs from females where it's like, I already think we have children together. It's like not, like, it's just like, Women get sent dick pics, which is very, I, I understand. But then the female fandom aspect of it is like so much scarier because they're like, we're in a relationship. You haven't known this, but we've been in one for about five years. And I'm currently with your child. We've never met, but I'm naming it after you. It's Ben Jr. And we'll meet one day. And it's already all set up. I'm like, now I am scared. But oh, thank I'm sure, you. I'm sure Ben Kissel has some groupies. I'm one of them. I get it. But <laughs> no, I. Uh, so we're at the Post Malone concert, and I've been watching my husband perform his heart out for like what an hour now. And then <laughs> I'm in the second row, right? I'm in second or third row. So which caused me to be even more obnoxious. But I see him walk towards the barricade, and this is my moment. Uh-oh. Like a gazelle, I leapt over two rows of seating. I leapt and I'm not athletic. This is the most agile I've ever been in my life. And I ran to the barricade and I grabbed this man by the arm. (laughs) I grabbed him by the arm and I thought like when he made eye contact with me, I'd like say or do something um, significant or substantial. And instead I just screamed. Like that's it. I'm just holding on to his arm, screaming, which is <laughs> horrifying. And like in retrospect, like probably didn't help my chances. But like, oh, who knows? My, here's my goal, right? Like when I meet him, I'm gonna meet him. We're gonna take our picture. Hopefully, we're gonna talk for a sec. Hopefully, look into each other's eyes a little bit. Right. And then as he turns around to leave, I'm gonna leap onto his back. Yes. And then like hold on like a jetpack sure so that he and he can't get me off at this point so then right. he's forced to live with me at that point perfect so, nothing unhealthy about that plan um, oh i, I mean yeah. you know he's gonna love every second of it it's not gonna be like security security it'll be like <laughs> wow i think this one this one is just crazy enough to put a ring on right honestly i think that that's the only way i'm going to get married if someone falls in love with my psychosis and goes you know what it's kind of fun it's kind of fun i agree well and that of course is how love works you have to fall in love with the person you have to have the same crazy i don't know i i'm just i cuddle my dogs all day long so i have no idea i'm not the one to take relationship uh, advice from nor should i ever be giving it so um (laughs) When it comes to what's good, can you talk about what's going on? What do you think about Takashi Tech uh, 69? Oh, can I you, can talk about it. You talk about it because I am like, I was following this just because we do the true crime podcast side stories. And so that's tangentially tied to it happens to be hip hop in this case. Takashi 69, I mean, he's going to die, right? 
like they're gonna kill him i can make an only dream um no no he uh is a garbage pail kid but not in a cool way oh. um he is another level of human being um i do not like him i feel comfortable in saying that um usually it takes a lot it takes so much usually yeah. When I don't like someone, I pull the I respect their success. Um, not my flavor, but I understand it might be some's. Sure. Like you know what I mean? And yeah, I of course. But, but like with this one, um, I feel very comfortable saying that he is the worst. It's gonna be interesting watching what happens there because the rap community, it's nowadays, um, we don't have the biggie pox situation where people getting shot at as often, right? Right. Um, but, and a lot of people are like keyboard warriors nowadays and that's, you know, rap beef is no longer like you pull up on someone. Now it's like you subtweet them. Um, I know that, that Nick Cannon, Eminem Twitter feud was one of the most adorable things ever. I'm like, what are you doing, Nick Cannon? I know it was, it was cutesy. All right. And I love Eminem and I know, like, I, we know them both and they're angels, but like, man, um, I don't know about angels, but they are, you know, we don't have any problem with them, but I was definitely like watching from the sidelines going like boys <laughs> are we sure but what no, is happening i know it's like that's my response to most things nowadays is just like oh what is happening yeah but with, and i feel the same way about takashi 69 um he is he's made some pretty um significant enemies at this point um most of the world is his enemy and like i wonder like how people can in good conscience like work with him or stream him you know what right. i mean like I don't understand Why it. Why do you so- think that when it comes to someone like him, obviously he wanted to be like perceived as someone that he wasn't, which was like really like an actual thug, like an actual gangster. He, but he's not. And so he joins this gang and all of a sudden he's doing these things that is way, way above his pay grade. He can't do it. Gets busted, of course, immediately. And then he just flips on everyone. I just, if you're him, does, did he, is there a certain disconnect from reality in the minds of people that grew up on the internet 100%? Like, does he understand, like, you're playing in the real world here? Like, this isn't just something cute. This isn't, like, just for, like, song fodder. It's like, you could be killed. Yeah, absolutely. It's very similar to Kanye in politics in a lot of ways. Oh, my I don't goodness. I don't think they're similar people. I have a lot of compassion for Kanye, especially right now, someone who has bipolar disorder very severely. Um, I look at what he's going through right now, and I don't. It does not excuse some of his words and actions, right? Right. I'm not right. pretending like it does, but the lack of um, empathy and compassion being shown towards him, the fact that he's the butt of the joke, is ridiculous to me and disgusting to me. But that's not what we're talking about right now. But it's similar where these artists um, operate in a pretend world of art, right? Like art imitates life life imitates art right right but um and art and real life do um they're the collateral for each other right but when you have lived in this dimension where you can be the master of your own universe and right like some when you travel and take that into the real world and join a gang or run for president suddenly <laughs> yeah. impacting you're impacting actual lives like right homie stick to the fashion line rap like oh like, right and this is me, as a fan of kanye and as an avid anti-fan of takashi 69 it's like these kids forget that I say these kids, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure he's older than me, honestly. Well, Um, but I mean, I think that your experience growing up in that sort of side of it probably has matured you quite a bit. I, in, I was uh, always treated, yeah. I always say I age in dog years because I was always treated like a small adult. And right. this is like, I just there's I can't even begin to explain it. Like I wish I could give some sort of like as someone in the music industry and someone in the rap industry. Like here's what I perceive as the issue, but I can't because I can't imagine being this stupid. Like, yeah. I just can't. But, you know, like, I, I don't wish ill on anyone, but I wish everyone to get what they deserve, and we'll see yeah. what that is, you know? Oh, man. All I know is if I was him, I would not be in New York. I would just get out, do what Kanye did, go to Wyoming. You have some money. Just go spend it in a place where you can get a bunch of money, a bunch of bang for your buck, and just get out <laughs> because, good Lord, you're going to end up dying. Attention is... um a craving and a hunger for attention will cloud judgment to a lethal point. Oh my God. I'm totally with you on that. The idea, if I hear anyone and you see this on like reality shows or like 
the more shallow people will be like, what do you want to do? And they're like, I want to be famous. And if someone says they want to be famous, I'm like, that is the worst desire in the history of desires. It's like, you know who else is famous? That Karen chick in Central Park. She is now famous. Is that good? Like <laughs> the idea of being famous is such a negative side effect to art. I actually, it's, it, that's where all the stress comes from is yeah. like, holy hell. It's, it's no. scary. The art is fun, but the fame is scary. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm a very shy person. A lot of people don't understand my introversion because, um, I am, I, come off to many as very outgoing and outspoken. Right. Yeah. But in reality that my coping mechanism is just being the loudest person in the room. Cause if you're saying enough and you're talking lo- loudest and the fastest, no one asks you questions and they totally. think you're showing all your cards immediately. So you can hide the ones you don't want them to see. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so all that being said, I love connecting with people, right? Like I think people are incredible and amazing and I love yeah. to meet new people and make new friends, etc. But like, being known by anyone and I hardly have a platform and being known by anyone is terrifying to me. Like if I could anonymously do music and just put that shit out into the universe and never have to answer to anyone for it. Right. Like ideal because I am just positively spooked by any, any sort of (laughs) variety. Just positive. I know like the idea that anyone just wants fame, especially in this world where fame is like not that hard to come by anymore. Again, you can go viral and you can be any version of famous. And a lot of times it's negative uh, fame. I guess it's more infamy, but a lot of like, if that's your desire, I just, I don't know what to tell you. I just feel like they're, they're really kind of sad people. Yeah. And I feel like fame should be a side effect, you know, not the thing itself. And like we've been saying, and like another thing, like when you do come across it and you find yourself with a platform, um, I was talking about this on another podcast recently, actually, Uh, What? um, where I'm sorry, I cheated on you. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, I, uh, I was talking about how, um, the reason why I try and use my platform to talk about things like mental health, wellness, and illness and yeah, things yeah. I'm passionate about, like prison reform, like yes. anything at all besides myself is because when the only brand you develop is yourself, like what happens when you die, all that evaporates and it doesn't matter anymore. Exactly. Like, wouldn't you rather try and make some, I'm not trying to be cliche, but wouldn't you rather do something substantial? Like Jesus, like you something. Know- well, let's talk about that. Uh, as far as hip hop goes, they've been on the forefront. That genre has been on the forefront of talking about police brutality, talking about prison reform, uh, talking about the atrocities happening all over our country right now. Um, world's largest prison population right here in the land of the free, uh, the United States of America. A lot of issues happening. Uh, when it comes to hip hop, uh, obviously we're in the middle of the Black Lives Matters movement, which has been going on now for what? four or five years i want to say that started and now it's really reaching a fever pitch we have gestapo in portland and all over the country literally federal guards federal officers without badges arresting people disappearing people taking them to black sites who knows where the hell they're going for no cause whatsoever what role do you think as uh as someone who is in hip-hop someone who works with a lot of black artists what role do you see yourself in in uh helping this movement go forward um, I think that the my responsibility as a very white person yeah. is to help amplify any messaging from non-white people. Um, from you know what I mean? Like I feel like that's the best way that we can operate in this space is to obviously participate in the fundraising for worthy causes and the petition signing and the protesting, et cetera, right? But I think our main function should be that of a megaphone. Right. People who are experiencing these things um, firsthand. And that's really um, what I am attempting to do in life. When did you first realize? I mean, obviously, you were talking about going to middle school and people being like, what do your parents do and who do you surround yourself with at home? When did you first realize, oh, this community, uh, in this case, the black community or uh, Hispanic community, they have a different reality than I have. Because uh, you having that ability to see that kind of different world must have been, I mean, at such a formative age, must have been absolutely eye opening. Yeah, um, I don't ever remember not knowing, you know, right. because. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You wouldn't. Because uh, this has been my entire life. And. Um, I've spent more time with the guys than I have my biological family, I think, probably. And so I always watched people, like I said, like very, this is a very cliche thing to say, say, but it's true, like cross the street or grab their kids or 
Lo, leave the restaurant. All I know is I'm never grabbing my kid. I'm going to give you my kid. I don't want the kid. Take the kid. You know, can people please, God, kidnap this kid? And oh my God, (laughs) where did my kid go? Oh my, I guess I'll have to live a life of freedom. I I would be stunned. Yeah. And like, or like, I remember I was out when I was 15. This is a later example because I've been seeing this my entire life. But when I was 15, I was at a baseball game with one of my big brothers. His name's Stevie Stone, very talented guy. Um, he's an amazing person. But we were going through the crowd together and it was a very crowded game. Um, yeah. It was an extremely important game to the team. And like three or four different random like corn fed white boys. It was like very stereotypical what you think. Yeah, you yeah. Think like Midwestern racist tried to square up to him. And one that I, the one that sticks with me the most is look at that little hard R with that little white girl. And I was like, Jesus sitting there and I was standing there at 15 years old, watching this happen and watching people trying to physically fight my big brother as we were just walking to go buy him a sweatshirt. And it got to the point where it was so unbelievable. It got to the point where we just turned around and went back to our seats because we were like, we aren't going through this crowd anymore. It's just not going to happen. And it was just like, it just like that sticks with me um, as like one of the most disgusting things. I've Not one of the most disgusting things because I've seen so much. Uh, there's been a lot of racism um, toward yeah lot of discrimination that I've had to witness um, my brothers go through. Um, but that was one of the ones that really sticks with me. And I, but like, I always remember um, being aware of it. Cause like when I was little, I wasn't around very many white people. So I didn't think about race as a differentiating factor. Yeah. In like this sounds really stupid and like I'm always hesitant to tell the story because it makes me sound really dumb but when I was little I was like four or five right and I remember the first time I heard someone reference my dad as white and I was really confused because I never ever considered it you know like I knew that like there was obviously an aesthetic difference between me and my big brothers right like there's an obvious complexion difference but I never thought of like the when I was that young like of differentiating people from other people by race or skin sure, tone. Sure. And so then, then after I was aware of that, that was when it really occurred to me where I noticed, the, oh, that's the difference in why they're being treated that way. Oh, that's why, you know, restaurants don't want to seat us. Oh, that's why this, that, and the third. Like, right. and this isn't just be, and I'm not going, this isn't just in the Midwest where people think, oh, like classic Midwestern racism, right? Because there isn't the diversity, quote unquote, all that. Right. That's not the case. And Kansas City is a very diverse city. That's where I'm based. Um, so it's not that. This has been all over the country as we were on tour because I spent my childhood on tour with the guys um, and my parents. Yeah. And what was so, one? Of the, what was one of the tours that you remember the most? Um, oh God, I can't remember how old. I, maybe I was like, I was probably in like second or third grade. And over the summer, we were going all over the country, um, just playing shows. And it was my, it just, I miss it so much going on these tours as a kid. Cause now I get yeah. to pop up and perform but it was so cool because like i was like a family reunion everywhere we went because we have this cult fan base at strange music and this like really close-knit fan base and a lot of these people that follow me now and i'm 20 now have been seeing me at shows since i was two or three years old and i know my god and yeah, so like they saw me running through the crowd like at two or three years old, like with my mom, <laughs> and now they watch me on stage, and it's like this crazy trippy experience for all That's of us. That's amazing. But it's awesome. Like there's <laughs> one tour, <laughs> you'll get a kick out of this, I think. Um, Tech and Cottonmouth Kings were touring okay. together, right? And this is when I was like really young. I was probably eight, maybe, and I would always sit on the speaker on side of stage to watch the show. So yeah. like. We recorded this tour for I think it was I think we recorded for a DVD and you just see like me on sitting on the speaker at this rap concert and it gets better because during the Cottonmouth Kings set here they are and there's they had like this huge like six foot long prop joint that like <laughs> was, like lit on fire at the end and all this oh, and it's yes. just, like swinging my feet off the speaker while this giant joint is like there and they're singing oh, where God. the feet at like. <laughs> Those are like the things I remember the most. Is like oh, these that's like such crazy an, juxtapositions. That is such an incredible childhood to have <laughs> all of those experiences. Oh my god, that's so fun. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series on Disney Plus. Experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. 
All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Uh, so when it comes to your music, where are you finding inspiration now? Because I know you're still creating all the time. Um, and I've seen some of your clips on, and of course I follow you on all the social media and stuff. So I know that you get a lot of inspiration through different uh, aspects of life. What are you interested in right now? What are, where are you going mentally to create right now? Yeah. So I'll talk about like what led up to the point I'm at now. So when I did my first album, um, it's called the edge. I didn't, it isn't me, you know, it was an right. exercise in whether or not I could do a pop album. And then I did it. And I always say to people, if you're a fan of the edge, but not my second album mystic, then you're a fan of the edge. You're not a fan of me, you know, okay. and that's fine. It was an experience to have. It was a creative exercise, I guess, but absolutely. Then, and how old were you when you made the edge? Um, 17. Okay. And it was released when I was 18. Okay. Um, and so I had to do this and I didn't get to really write and, and I'm a writer first. So that was really devastating to me. And I yeah. got, to, and so it's music. It's, it's good pop music, I guess. Um, but it wasn't really me. And so then after the edge, I got full creative control for the first time awesome. and it was insane. Like it was and the coolest what were you, 19? thing. 19 when you got that. Um, I was 18 when I got that. And I finally had control. Like I finally had autonomy as an artist and oh it was my the, God. That's incredible best experience I've ever had because I got to make art that mattered to me. Yeah. And so my second album, Mystic, I got to pen every word and it was literally the only two people that were involved in the making of it were me and my producer, Seven, that I mentioned earlier, who is the light of my life. He's my platonic soulmate. He's amazing. That is awesome. Um, he's so cool. Um, he, uh, he and I just got to sit and make music. But what inspired that was uh, the first six months of 2018, um, I this, and everyone who like follows me um, and my music knows this, but I'll repeat it here. I underwent like a very, very, very severe mental breakdown after mm -hmm. years of mental struggling with mental illness. Like I've been suicidal since I was six. I, sure. I no longer am, which is amazing. Hey, but... I struggle. I struggle all the time with that. I've, I'm, yeah. Some of my first memories were like waking up being like, I have to do this every day. I'm not sure if I'm cut out for this life thing. Um, yeah, you know, obviously we're all, I mean, absolutely. And, ever, and so many people struggle with that. So it's great that you're open about it um, because you. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, I hope it does because otherwise what fucking purpose did it serve, you know, like. Oh, it I'm absolutely sorry, does. It, it yeah. absolutely does. It absolutely does. It, you know, like, and so, and I nearly died on several occasions during this mental breakdown. Yeah. So was this, is this, because uh, I mean, I'm on Wellbutrin and Lexapro. I was diagnosed with like ADHD, a bunch of different kind of crazy ass things. But really the main thing I feel like is just letting the, letting the negative voices in the head, uh, you know, kind of take over. And sometimes it's just like totally paralyzing. You know, it's like, especially with social media, there's just a lot. It's a lot to deal with. We kind of got catapulted into the future and the future is a little dumber than I expected. Uh, and yeah. also much meaner than I expected. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> so like for me, um, the end of this mental breakdown is when I finally, um, went to therapy with my yeah. current psychiatrist, who's the smartest person I've ever met. She's incredible. Awesome. Um, she, uh, diagnosed me with bipolar one and it was the best news I've ever received in my life. Um, nice. and a lot of people are like, how, because that sounds like horrible news. Right. But for me, um, I always felt like everything I was experiencing was invalid and trivial and that I was crazy for feeling like I was feeling things. Yeah. And yeah. then someone said to me, this is, my psychiatrist said to me, no, here's what's happening. And it's real. Like the thing you're feeling, that's real. It's really happening. And here's yep. how we fix it. I got put on a whole lot of medications and I'm on like stimulants and antipsychotics and antidepressants and like anti-anxiety all this and it's the best thing ever because that's what i need to survive you but know that's what is kind of aggravating me about what's going on with kanye right now and we'll get back to the album in a second but that's what's kind of yeah. aggravating to me about kanye right now is where it's like dude you have to be responsible i mean marcus parks he's gone through the ringer marcus has severe mental uh illness and he works on it and you know i've seen him what what that can do but Kanye needs to also like, bro, you're not that young anymore. You have yeah. a kid. You have to get on medication. Like, I, I wish that 
I, I wish you would take that more responsible. I wish you would be more responsible with it because yeah. I think he could actually help a lot of people. I think he could too. And there's this thing. I was talking to my mom about this actually earlier today. There's this thing. And I think like from what I've noticed, it's especially in men, but I don't understand why that is. And maybe I'm wrong about that, where there's this thing among artists in particular, where there's this really stupid understanding of like my creativity is shackled to my mental illness. Right, right. Like, and once I'm medicated and feeling well, then I will no longer be a creative or compelling artist. It's and, the plight you know, of every single stand-up comedian. And I think that you are right when it comes to men. There is still that idea like you don't take pills. That's not masculine. You don't yeah. you don't go to therapy, all of this kind of bullshit. Um, but there are so many comedians who Men are yeah, men are so cheated when it comes to the um, like emotional body, you know? Like yes. it's really sad. If you but, use your art yeah. as therapy, like that's the worst thing that anyone can say is be like, stand up is my therapy. I'm like, no, no, no. You actually yeah. gotta go to therapy because stand up <laughs> is not good therapy. I'll tell you that much. That's just gonna drive even the most sane person crazy. Yeah. And like it's one of those things where what is it Marcus always says? Like mental health is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. That's is that it. it? Yep. Yeah, I love that. I always I always say that and credit him because I think that's one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard when it comes to mental health and wellness and illness. Yep. Um, and when for me, a lot of people ask. So back to what I was saying um, real quick and I'll get to that next point. Yeah, please. I'm sorry. I'm like scatterbrain. Um, no, all good. I, when it came time for me to record Mystic, it was the fall after that mental breakdown. It was only a few months into my recovery. I felt like the only thing I had, the only character I had, like the thing that defined me and was my identity was this mental breakdown. It was my mental illness. Right. And, you know, I never feel like I have an identity. I still don't. Um, I always say I'm water, right? I'm whatever you put in me or put me in, but I'm nothing in and of myself. And that's well, as as someone who is 39 and holding, I promise you, you do get colder, and that water does solidify into a ice, and uh, you will be whatever it is at some point. Um, because uh, I mean, some people call it getting older and getting uh curmudgeonly, but I call it becoming a person. Thank you. I need to hear that sometimes. <laughs> no, I, uh, and so I like took the only thing I felt like I had and made an album about it. And so I made Mystic, which is an album in three parts. And the first part is called The Rabbit Hole. And it's about like absolute rock bottom for me. And the entire album is yeah. about our abusive relationships with ourselves and others. Interesting. And so I wrote like, I just poured every ounce of hurt and darkness I had into the first chapter. And then the second chapter- And what chap- was that? Now, were you at all concerned that that was going to trigger a relapse? Because it is a little scary to, when you go back into those waters, you're like, especially artistically when you're exploring them, it, it's kind of scary. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. I was terrified. A lot of people, even like very executive people who were in no way, hardly knew me, were hardly involved in my career, would come up to me at meetings and shit and be like, are you going to be okay? Like, can you do this? Like, right. is it going to be okay? And I was like, we'll find out. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I, I have to do it. So You know I just as much as I do, so I'll let yeah, you know. exactly, right? <laughs> and so then I did this. So the first chapter is the rabbit hole. Second chapter is called Purgatory. And it's about the hardest thing I've ever done, right? Which is the choice to try and get better. Yeah. And that entire process and trying to find whatever. What was that process? I guess admitting that you may have a problem and then, I mean, what, what was that process like? Uh, was it a humbling process Do you, or, or what was the realization where you're like, I got to change this shit because this is not, this is not going to work out. Yeah, no, my entire life, I knew I had a problem, right? And I was always, I had always admitted it and I'd always been self aware of it. But then when this mental breakdown hit, it was like my brain, because of the trauma of being ill, right? Yeah. Just like flipped and reversed it and went, actually, no, I'm not sick anymore. I'm fine. And then like tried to live this lie of actually, no, there's nothing wrong because I want to be okay. So I'm going to be okay. Right. And then meanwhile, the entire time I had plans to kill myself, right. And kept trying, but like, (laughs) God. And then finally I, it was this day. I mean, but you know, that's, that's one of the interesting things when it comes to suicide. A lot of people will always comment or often comment. They didn't seem suicidal. They were super happy. They were, they were always the life of the party and the loudest one around. And it's like, that's the hidden side to a lot of people. And that's why it's so important to, I don't know, just make sure that your friends are actually doing well and force them to be open with you. Give them, give them like a bunch of drugs and me like, now you must tell me the truth. Cause I just, (laughs) We're on mushrooms. 
Yeah, I don't know if that's the move. I don't know if that's the right move either. That's as I was saying, I was like, no, don't give them a bunch of obviously with consent. uh, Give them, (laughs) you take some mushrooms with your buddy and go into the woods and be like, are you okay? Um, Or just do it one hundred percent sober. Or you can totally just be sober and do this too. Right, you know, all (laughs) different strokes for different folks. But yeah, and then I talk about this in my TED Talk, Mystic Mackenzie Nicole's Mental Health Odyssey, which you can find on you know YouTube, etc. But I talk about how the defining moment for me was this one day I was at work and this is during my mental breakdowns in like April of that six months. So you're still working and like going about all the regular human things. Everything normal for me. Yeah, Yeah. I was fine. And I thought everyone knew I was falling apart. That's the thing. I I forget people aren't in my head. So I thought it was so obvious, but no one knew. And I found that out later and it was surprising to me. Yeah. But I was at work and I got into a dispute with a coworker and I just went, fuck you and fuck this and I'm leaving. So then. Straight up um, like Jim Brewer from right. from Half-Baked. Fuck you. Fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. <laughs> right. And so then I just got in my car and I was like, you know what? The billboards just went up for the album because the edge, um, the, my first album was either about to come out or had come out. And someone had to go around and check and make sure all the billboards were up and correct. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, that's what I'm doing today because I don't want to see anyone or talk to anyone. And so I put into my um, navigation this address for the billboard. And then I just got my something happened and I got lost. I don't I have a lot of memory loss. So I'm trying. I'm yeah. still piecing things together. Um, but I just ended up lost. And then I just broke. Like I just was in my car and I was on the interstate and I just started sobbing uncontrollably. And so I didn't know what to do. So I called my mom because I felt like that was the thing to do because me and my mom were really close and I kind of reverted to little kid mode, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was sobbing and I had to pull over in the parking lot of fucking Quality Inn and I'm sobbing. (laughs) You know, that's not the first person crying in a parking lot of a Quality Inn. So you must have been like, you must have pulled over and like four other people were crying too. And you're like, I guess this is the place where we cry. The parking lot of a quality inn. And so like I was on the phone with my mom and I was like, mom, I'm going to kill myself. Like, yeah. And I was telling her and the way I, I wasn't telling her to confide in her. I was just telling her to give her a heads up. I was like, hey, just so you know, this is going to happen. And I figured I wouldn't shock you with it. Dang. And so which is such a fucked up thing to do to your mother. And I yeah, but thank God you like, did that. Right. Because then she said, we got to slow down. She said, no, you're not. We got to slow down. And I was like, did my Am I not allowed to kill myself? Like, is that what I'm hearing? Am I being sent to my room just for wanting to kill myself? Right? (laughs) And so then, um, as soon as I got off the phone with her, I called the psychiatrist that a friend had been trying to refer me to, my current psychiatrist, and made my first appointment. And so here I am. Again, in the parking lot with the quality in. Yes. And there's makeup all over my face. And I'm visibly like my shirt is soaked with tears. And I'm shaking. And I walk into the quality in. And I'm like, do you have a bathroom? And she's like, the bathroom is for guests only. And I look at her and I look like this, right? I look devastated. And I look at her and I was like, please, like, please. And so she was like, fine, to the left. And so I went to my left and ended up washing myself with hand soap in a public bathroom. And I'm thinking, how did I get here? Like, where the hell am I? And I just looked in the mirror and I couldn't believe it. Like, I just couldn't comprehend how I'd gotten to this point. And it just horrified me. Like, I was so scared in that moment. And so then I, my mom, when we were on the phone, was like, hey, why don't you drive around for the rest of the day? Go do something. Go grab a bite to eat or, like, I don't know, sit at a park. Just don't go back to work. Just go. Yeah, screw it. I was driving around, and I found myself on the path I used to take to school in high school. And on my right was the psychic shack. And so I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to go. And today's the day. Today's the day. Yeah. Because I was like, what the fuck do I have to lose at this point? (laughs) If this psychic says one thing that's powerful, I'll take it. Right. And so I pull over and I walk up the steps to the door, expecting my life to change. I put my hand on the knob and I turn it and it's locked. Of course. <laughs> I was like, yep. Why psychic didn't me? see you coming. Not that psychic actor. After all, you just lost a client. Yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so I go back to my car and I'm like, like, I was like screaming in my car. Yeah. And then I thought 
I remembered this day months later and I was thinking about it and I was like, man, why did I go to the psychic? Like I saw it, but why did I pull over then of all days? And I, as I was remembering this months later when I was writing my album, I thought, oh, I get it now because I was hoping she'd do her job and tell me I had a future. And right. that's what I needed to hear is that I actually had one. Right. Th so then that's why I named my album Mystic and why it became about what it became about. And then moving forward, though, it's that the final chapter in the album is called Oxygen because and it's about being on the other side. Right. Whatever that means. Um, right. Right. And it's I called it Oxygen because it was like recovery for me. It was like <gasps> this breath of fresh air after being held underwater my entire life. Like, yeah. And yeah. so I'd spent what? How many years? That 12 years wanting to kill myself. And finally. Right. I was in recovery and I was like, oh, like, and so much of what I wrote for the, um, that section of the album, I have no idea what it means still. Like yeah. I just wrote what the universe told me to write. And like, I truly believe, and this is where I lose some people that I didn't make mystic. Like it didn't come from me. It was out there in the universe independent of me. I just happened to be the person who materialized it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and sure. So, like it. Do you find that when you listen to your music, it has a new meaning Oh, yeah. Uh, almost every time or like, are you still discovering your own art? Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked because like, especially with that last chapter of the album, um, I, at the time, like I was nowhere close to where I am now and I'm still not yeah. close to the finish line. I can't even see the finish line still. Um, yep. I, just I just wrote whatever I felt like I had to write. And then when people would ask me, what's the song about? What's that song about? Towards the end of the album, I'd be like, about enlightenment like i yeah. don't know i better figure out what the fuck this song is about because these people are going to keep on asking I so know. <laughs> exactly and but as i was living i was like oh like there's this one song called um grow old and at the time i wrote it i was like you know what it's the opening line is age is just a number so i've been told i'll know if that's true if i get to grow old i hit the black ice and i spun out talking to myself like isn't this fun now and then the rest of the line the song is just, I don't get any better than I am right in the second. I don't grow up. I just grow old. And the entire time I was writing it, I was like, what am I saying? And then yeah. as I grew through it and listened to it over the following months, um, and now it's been years because I recorded in 2018, just came out um, February 14th of this year. It's occurred to me, oh, like this is what it's about. When I spent my entire life trying to kill myself, I never right. took time to figure out who I was because I didn't think there was a point. I always say there's no point in furnishing a house set for demolition. So what like right. I once That's very I, interesting. Once I surpassed my expiration date and I was like, Oh, I'm here? Like I was yeah. given the second chance at life. I was like, who am I? Like, I have yeah. I no idea. I still really don't. And so the song is about like curating your life around you and figuring out like, what do I like? What do I dislike? Everything from like, I like this book. I don't like this book. I, this is my favorite kind of pasta to like, what do I want in my life? What's my dream? What's my end goal? And right. all that. And like, that was what that song was about for me. Or there's another song called I Still Hope That You're Okay. And when I wrote it, it was about this relationship I had been in that was um, horrifying and just God. And somehow at that time I had some sort of sympathy for this person. And I okay. was like, you know what? Like when I wrote it, I was like, you know what? Despite everything you've done to me, despite the abuse I underwent, but right. like, I, I hope that you, I hope you find your peace. Like, I hope you're okay. And then after that, a few months later, I was like, actually, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Then at that point, he had a new girlfriend. And I was like, like, it killed me. Because even though I didn't want to be with this person, I was like, maybe in that moment, I was like, maybe I was the problem because they both look happy. Like, maybe right. I was the problem. And then I thought, no, that's not true. And there are two scenarios right that are possible right now. Either she's as bad as he is, which is horrifying, or she's right. who I was. And she's yeah. undergoing what I went through. And mm -hmm. so then the song became about her and hoping that she was okay. And then months after that, I was like, actually, no, I can't afford to care about e afford to care about either of you. I hope I'm okay. You know, yeah. like and the right. song eventually ended up after all being about me. And that's probably the greatest evolution in the album. That was one song's evolution. You went through. Yeah. That's a, that's really absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Mackenzie, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's it's so powerful and people have to 
just we got to keep on trucking. I know for me, it was just kind of cliche fat kid from Wisconsin. I figured I was going to die by 33 like Chris Farley and John Belushi. But then I realized when I was 33, I wasn't famous at all. And I was like, what's the point? Uh, and I, the alcohol just never killed me. And the, I never I never snorted the, the wrong line of Coke and got the fentanyl. So at this point, I'm like, I don't know what to do now. Do I just try to live until I'm 78? Right. Um, one of the weird things is, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but I started saving for retirement. And I remember one of the first thoughts, and this was just last year. And I was like, well, now I need to live until 59 and a half. Otherwise that money's going to go to waste. And I'm like, is that my reason to live? And I'm like, you know what? If that's my reason, I'll take it. Right? Like, I just need a little bit of like a current. I'll be like, get to 59 and a half. We'll take it from there. And then 59 and a half, it'll be like, I got social security coming at 65. So I need to stay awake for this shit. Exactly. Right. Whatever. Small goals, small milestones, and eventually, hopefully, you get there, and then you're 100, and you're fine. You know, that's the goal. Yeah, and then and then the sad thing is, I already know my deathbed will be like, I don't want to die. And I'll be like, my entire life, I've been saying I, I can't do this. So, well, what the hell? I'll never be happy. I'll just, I'll never be happy. Even at death, I'll be like, you finally got what you wanted. I'll be like, no, but I don't want it anymore. I'll be like, well, now it doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> Awesome. Mackenzie, Nicole, thank you so much. Um, where can everyone find you? Uh, get the album. What's the best way to get your album so you actually get paid? Oh, my gosh. So you can find me at the real Mackenzie Nicole on Instagram, at Mackenzie Nicole on Twitter, and Mackenzie Nicole everywhere else, including every streaming platform. The album is called Mystic. It's the love of my life. So if you feel so compelled, again, listen to it anywhere you listen to music, and you can go to Strange Music Inc.'s website to buy it for real, for real, and get a physical copy and just – Frankly, I designed the booklet and everything else, all the art inside of it. So it really, I think it's pretty cool. So if you want to see that, go ahead and get the album itself in physical. And yeah, uh, I guess that's where you can find me. And thank you so much for having me. This is so cool. Oh my God. Thank you so much for doing it. Mackenzie Nicole, everyone, check out everything that she does. And never forget, thank you so much for listening to this episode of LPN. Also, you can check out our merch, lastpodcastmerch.com. And uh, all right, everyone, I hope you're doing okay in these crazy times. Never forget, hail yourselves. We will talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.